0: Fit toys.
1: Have you ever wondered why we started saying LOL? Did you know new archaeological techniques are uncovering the stories of people who were excluded from the history books? And that growing chili peppers in space can help us navigate the climate crisis here on Earth? Hear all of that and more on the podcast Cool Stuff Ride Home. Every afternoon, Cool Stuff Ride Home fills you in on the coolest things that happen today in science. In the arts, in culture, on the internet, the coolest memes, the coolest trends. In a world at war after two years of a pandemic, Cool Stuff Ride Home is not just a palate cleanser at the end of your day. It's a reminder that awesome things still happen day after day, and the human race is still making progress. Search your podcast app now and subscribe to the Cool Stuff Ride Home podcast hosted by Jackson Bird for your daily dose of cool news news every afternoon welcome to episode 589 with my guest Jen W I'm Paul Gilmartin this is the mental illness happy hour a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking uh, this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling I'm not a therapist I'm a jackass that used to cook chicken on basic cable and tour around the country telling dick jokes. And speaking of touring around the country, we're doing a live recording of the podcast on Friday, May 20th in Minneapolis. I believe the showtime is 8 o'clock. I'll put a link to uh, ticket information uh, in the show notes for this episode, but you can also look up uh, Sisyphus, uh, and good luck spelling that, Sisyphus Brewery in Minneapolis, which is where the recording is going to take place uh at one of my support groups last night we we have this um i don't know what would you call it? tradition in this support group it's a small group of friends who have known each other for a long time and one of the things we'll do every other week is somebody can pick a theme for the shares and somebody suggested that talking about gratitude and perfectionism. And I'd never put the two of them together before in my brain until this friend suggested it. And I thought, wow, they really are connected because when I'm in the mode of deathly afraid of making mistakes feeling like you know some catastrophe is going to happen if I don't do this right either. Somebody's going to not love me, or they're going to think less of me, or I'm going to fail, and it will have been a waste of time. I'm completely out of the present moment because I'm so wrapped up in the future that I can't appreciate anything that's going on around me. And I think it's really, really hard to feel any kind of gratitude, if we're if our feet aren't rooted in the in the present moment, um, I cannot feel the good things in my life unless I'm in a place of relative stillness. And that mean voice in my head is at least temporarily quieting down. But I don't know. I wonder if you guys have ever made a connection between those two. And speaking of uh, voice in the head. This is from the Voice in Your Head survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself never enough. And uh, she writes uh, to the question, what are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? These are so fucking spot on. You are an imposter. Your success is not deserved. No partner will want you if you cannot give them children. Everyone around you needs to feel loved and seen. You must make that happen. You do not give enough. Do not let them see you squirm. And you are the therapist. You need to be strong for everyone. And when one more why can't you just get it together? And you know, one of the reasons I love that, first of all, is I think all of those thoughts are so universal, so universal. But this to me is a great example of what human beings' th- therapists are. And I think it's what makes a great therapist is that they know that battle in the head, that battle of the, the mean voice in our brain, and really trying to, as, as my therapist would say, uh, you know, look at what are the facts on the ground as opposed to what the mean voice wired in my head tells me. This is an awful uh, some moment, and this was filled out by somebody who calls himself Frosted Pop tarts are better. Ha, Paul! Now you have to say it. Well, first of all, fuck you. I cast you to hell, and and not in just a a speedy vehicle. I'm talking like a bullet train, like where somebody actually gets on the on the rail and spreads. <laughs> I'm not scientific, but spreads margarine on that. Does that does it, would that make it go faster? Um, because I'm vegan. I'm not vegan. God, speaking of rails, this has gone off the rail. Um, let's see they're awful some moment. When I was 12, I lived with my grandma. One day, I found her lying on the kitchen floor with blue lips. I did what anyone would do. I called 911. She ended up dying in the hospital about a week later. I got a thank you card in the mail a few weeks later from my aunt, her daughter, with $20 inside it. The card said, thanks for calling 911 for my mom. You did the right thing. Treat yourself to something nice. <laughs> like therapy. <laughs> oh, my God. I love a good, awfulsome moment. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Meat World. And uh, about her love addiction, she writes, I do not feel I have loved someone whole enough until I completely lose myself. And about her codependency, I'm a house in flames. My world is on fire. No one but me is engulfed in the flames. I'm waiting for an extinguisher that never comes. And then she shares a snapshot from her life. Uh, on love addiction and codependency. I do not just love, and love is in quotes. I pour all of myself into someone until I am empty. I do this until I no longer recognize myself. I do it until my identity is stripped wholly and fully. I do not love. I deplete. Wow, that is so profound. and, And I like the fact that you... Called out the you know the 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 phrase love addiction. I wish there was another phrase for it because it's not truly love. You know it's coming from a place of emptiness and sickness, and it's a form of objectifying somebody else to fill our unmet needs that that really we need to to meet ourselves. And I know that sounds like a bunch of new agey horse shit, but um, I like to think of our relationship with ourselves as the meal and a relationship with somebody else as the dessert. And I think when we're in love addiction or codependency, we look to that person to be our meal, to fill them up, uh, to fill ourselves up with them. But since I have started in support groups doing the stuff that I had no fucking idea was important to help fill the, the personal emptiness, um, you know, how I talk to myself, being aware of that, practicing self-care, getting enough sleep, taking a shower, brushing my teeth, flossing, setting boundaries with people, um, being picky about the people that I allow to get close to me, cultivating hobbies, working towards being an authentic person, whatever, whatever that means, um, I suppose I I would say that's not liking it because you think somebody else is going to like you more for liking that. Liking it because you actually like it. It's crazy how many years we can be on this earth without even understanding what it is that we want or what it is that we like. It's crazy. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Gilda. Gilda. She writes, I understand that you were married for quite a few years, and yet you almost never mentioned that time in your life or anything about your marriage, since you are so open about everything else, it seems. I'm wondering why that is. And that would be because um, my ex-wife is a very private person. And so I, you know, have always tried to uh, be respectful of that, to be honest about who I am without kind of dragging somebody else's privacy, uh, into it. And I feel like that doesn't necessarily apply to parents. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's unfair because I, I, I feel like parents are, are fair game. I don't know. That sounds cruel, but, um, When I was doing the podcast and I was married, I did talk about my marriage uh, a bit. Not a ton, but um, a bit. This is also from the Ask Paul Anything survey (laughs) filled out by an agender person who calls himself Ra-Ra-Rasputin. And they uh, said, I've been plagued lately by the feeling that I am a fraudulent good person. I have plenty of people in my life who, when I express this, assure me that I'm doing my best and that's enough. But I can't shake the fear that I've tricked them somehow. There are some thoughts that I keep to myself and I worry that if others knew these things, they would be horrified about associating with me. Do you feel this? How do you manage it? Is the answer to tell everyone everything? A resounding no. Everybody does not need to know everything. Unless you are struggling with, uh, you know, obsessive thoughts, then talk to a therapist or, uh, you know, um, a support group where there's a shared struggle. But, you know, saying to the, the, the people at your book club, I keep picturing my, uh, you know, my next door neighbor having a knife sticking out of her head. (laughs) You know, I, let me put it this way. I don't think everybody deserves to know everything that's going on in our head. I think it's okay to share anything that's going on in our head with people where it's appropriate. And then you would say, well, what's appropriate? And I would say, I don't know. You figure that out. You're on your own. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Uh, I think most of us are are pretty good friends with stress. We're quite familiar. We've been on vacation with stress. We've we've shared a cubicle with stress. And uh, for me, therapy is one of the places that is my go-to for talking about all the bullshit that's rattling around in my head, and you know, stress affects everything. It affects our appetites, how much we sleep, the quality of our sleep, our blood pressure. So uh, if you're not in therapy, consider BetterHelp. It's online therapy. You don't have to leave your house. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I love sucking my thumb in my recliner. And talking about the the battlefield that is my brain, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. And you guys, the listeners, get ten percent off your first month at BetterHelp.com/mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part. That's BetterHelp. Dot com slash metal and oh, excuse me b-e-t-t-e-r-h-e-l-p dot slash metal we are sponsored this week by best fiends the mobile puzzle game uh which i dig i'm uh just underneath uh, level 3,000 and uh, and something and uh since uh, they started sponsoring this podcast i don't know maybe a year or two ago it's, it's become a game that I play pretty much every day, especially love it when I'm killing time, sitting at the doctor's office, because you can play it on, you don't even need the internet, you can play it on your phone or tablet, and uh, yeah, I really uh, dig it, it, it uh, works my brain out, there's different strategies you can use by which characters you choose, and uh, I think you would like it, check it out. Download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Check it out. I think you'll like it. And if you don't, I don't want to hear about it. And then finally, this is from the Struggle in a Sentence Survey, and this one is just so uh, to the point. Lily says about her anxiety it's like drowning above water your fear of death is your love of life in reverse Risking being hurt
0: Push it all down You can't go around it Marlon, like we don't do mental health talk Through is the only path
1: No one is ever alone There's somebody else out there Don't forget Experiencing the same thing as you But the places you feel most broken now You just gotta look for them Will one day be your greatest strength
0: And when you find them, it's a great feeling
1: And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke But that's how far I will go to get a laugh Because I am empty inside You're in the right place. I'm here with uh, Jen W., who is a buddy of mine from one of my support groups. And we've been talking about getting together and doing this for, what, 900 years?
0: Um, About a trillion. Yeah. (laughs) We're that old. (laughs) Uh,
1: There's a lot to your story that that I want to get to. And it's funny because I know certain things about you, but there's also stuff that I uh, don't know about you that that I would like to know I I I know bits and pieces about your childhood the biggest thing that I know about you are your struggles with with mental health mm-hmm. and um I'm not sure whatever the diagnosis was but you would kind of go in and out of reality and sometimes you would show up to our meeting mm-hmm. wearing a wig calling yourself a different name and <laughs> and my first thought was is oh is gosh. Jen pulling our leg or I should totally or, do
0: that sometime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but it was yeah. funny. you were you I think were, it might be morbidly funny. <laughs> Show up and do that.
1: Well, we were fucking worried about you, man, because then you would disappear, and and there were times that you showed up and you looked kind of disheveled and like maybe you were living on the street. I wasn't sure. No, there
0: there were times when I was urban camping. (laughs) I call. I wrote a a online book about it. Um, It's called a dyslexic haiku. Um, So strange because I have like uh, in the times when I'm sane Mm -hmm. when i've got when i'm taking my meds and everything's good and um, everything's on the up and up i'm usually in school trying to get into nursing school now i'm in nursing school
1: Mm -hmm. so
0: but those times when i somehow managed to um not take my meds because everybody knows who anybody who takes meds knows about side effects and size how awful they can be and for me it was they're just i mean to the to the, they drove me to homelessness. I was – I'd rather – I there was a time in my life I'd rather – I had would have rather not take meds and been homeless and lived on the street. And, you know, I had money from the government coming in, so I wasn't completely destitute. But um, there were some difficult times there. Yeah. So thanks for your worry and thanks for your prayers and blessings and everybody that saw me go through that time. I'm just so grateful that um, that I'm still around and that yeah. I can tell the story. So –
1: you must feel probably more than the average person feels when you drive under a viaduct and you see myself home- homeless. I see people myself there. What what are the thoughts and feelings that go through your head when you when you do that?
0: I just I want to help. Um, part of me thought like maybe I'd do like mercy ships after I get through nursing school and I work for a bit and make earn enough and invest enough. I was thinking maybe I'll do mercy ships and go work on a, a ship that that's like a, a, a floating hospital and they bring surgeries to people on continents that don't have those resources. Um, and then I thought I have a friend here in LA who, um, who wants to work with the homeless population. He's also a nurse just graduated. And um, so I thought, well, why don't I, I don't know what do I, I, I haven't, Nothing set in stone, but I would like to help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the times when I was off meds, I before the pandemic, <laughs> I remember like going on social media. My my brother would follow me on social media, and he he'd send me pictures later and just be like, "Remember that when Jen and," uh, but he would follow me on social media through my times in Malibu, where I thought I was combating human trafficking and would be you know twittering mm-hmm. to President Obama, and. and <laughs> thinking that that would make a difference. Um, Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, because after those times, like, I remember I would just blast, like, tons of, you know, well-on-people's, like, Twitters and stuff about, Mm -hmm. you know, um, about um, ending human trafficking. That was, like, a huge thing for me for some reason. That just really, that was one of my really important, I think, messages for in this life at that time Mm -hmm. was i um and it was interesting because after one of my episodes i i kind of um came upon someone who had actually been trafficked and um she'd been she'd been coerced to come from thailand to come to america and um i guess was stuck sewing in a house and they would and she was rescued and became she became an activist um her name is Rachna Sussman, and uh, she ended up marrying a, um, a professor at SC. And you know, she became an advocate for human rights and and ending human trafficking. And so that was interesting because a lot of the things that have happened during those times of um, like out of touch with reality, but yet there's still some thread of like
1: yeah, I mean, important. noble cause uh, fighting against human trafficking and right tweeting to the president, not that he'd ever see a, oh, hold on, Jen, Jen just put me on blast. Yeah.
0: Um, but like, you know, something happened. It was like after, Um. you know, I was tweeting again about that. I was going through another, I think I'd been, I think I've urban camped about two or three times, one for eight months, one stint was for eight months. Um. Another time was for three months, so maybe there's two times. It's hard to remember exactly. Like my memory is kind of foggy about just because all the meds I've been on, and just in general, uh, I still take a lot of meds now, and I take a lot of vitamins to kind of mitigate mitigate the side effects of meds. But um, what
1: what is the diagnosis? By the way. Oh,
0: okay. So if officially, I was diagnosed at 21 in Thailand um, as bipolar. And then I, I guess, progressed into schizoaffective, which is like a, a, a fun combination of um, bipolar and schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So you have the the um, the highs and the moods, highs and lows, and then the delusions and hallucinations, but not. I didn't.
1: And paranoia? The, Do you paranoia? get the paranoia? Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I have a friend sure. who has schizoaffective. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, that he when he is slipping into a funk with it. And he continues to take his meds, but he said sometimes a feeling of such deep dread and paranoia will come over him. And intellectually, he understands that he isn't about to die, but his body and his mind, he's hearing voices. It's, He said it's intense.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I... I do. It's like I don't hear voices necessarily, but it's thoughts. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> oh, that and might hear, have been
1: actually what he said. He might have said, "You he hear might have like said you thoughts. get these thoughts. Right. These
0: kind of these thoughts, like having conversation with yourself in your in your mind. I think everybody has that. Like it's to some level or degree. Mm-hmm. Like um, when the indecisiveness, you know, like oh, I want the you know root beer. No, I'm going to get the diet coke instead. Or I'm I'm going to drink water. You know, it's kind of like that, but." A little bit more intense it can be. There was sometimes so so kind of
1: confusion and difficulty making decisions is, that is, is part of it.
0: Th- initially, before I was diagnosed, that was one of the hallmarks of of my. Um, I think when I was going, they say you go into depression before you go into mania, mm-hmm. and so part of the depression was that I remember like just being at a store in Thailand at like a Seven Eleven and just not knowing which yogurt to buy, like just being totally befuddled.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then um, I remember um, being in, I think, a uh, James Bond movie had come out. And this was, I was in Thailand. I was a model then and had been modeling for about four years. And I was in Thailand and um, I was in a the movie theater and I had a bell. And somehow I thought that bells, when a bell rang, it signified that um, that some it just it signified something spectacular, so I kept ringing this bell in this theater oh until they dragged God. me out it oh the took me to a police station for like to see if I was you know on some kind of drugs and um they observed me for a few hours and realized that I wasn't on anything. They videotaped me and and just and I asked me questions and and then um they took me to um you know a psychiatric uh, hospital, nicest one in Bangkok, beautiful yes. and manicured lawns. Oh, really? <laughs> I could see outside, but the room was like there was one large room, and there's about, oh, 200 women in it. I mean, just cots. They would, I don't know how they managed. I mean, I guess everybody was on sedatives, so it's like that's okay. how they managed everybody. Right. Right. Um, but I just remember like walking in there, and I thought that I was working for the FBI and the CIA, and I just thought like um, when I – and I had all these – kind of like paranoid delusions about you know I was going to be the next woman president it my it would always go to that like you why know why does grandiosity
1: always seem to be when when people break with true? reality it's always the fbi and the cia i shouldn't say it's always it is, but though. but it oh, seems so often. so often it's the fbi so or cia maybe there is an
0: alternate reality that's out there that that's what that's it's the matrix right
1: <laughs> cuz yeah, if everybody i mean if everybody
0: like that's i mean if so many people have had these delusions, maybe that's just some other plane they're tapping into that's just
1: mm-hmm. I think about that sometimes when I'm walking down the street and I'll find myself wanting to judge somebody who's sitting arguing with themselves or with somebody who isn't there and I'll think well, what if somebody really is there and this person just has an extra sense that I that I don't have and uh you know Psychics. I'm the I'm the one that uh and then I say, "No, that's not true." And then I yell at that person. No, I would, I would never yell it. Yell <laughs> at yell somebody
0: at who's having a conversation with themselves. Uh, yeah. With themselves, you could say maybe like, "Oh, I don't know." What would you say? Like, they're never
1: getting along with the imaginary right. person. Like,
0: can't you two just get along?
1: <laughs> <Right>. yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. When you, if you ever encounter that, or you do that. Or you, I dare you. <laughs> 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 Tell me what happens. It's... If you ever see me doing that, feel yes. free to okay. interrupt to be like Jen. I just want you to get along with yourself.
1: Yes, I'm here to I'm here to mediate. I'm the Switzerland of Switzerland. viaducts. There we go. Your did your parents emigrate here from Thailand?
0: Yes, my father did. Um, my father was an excellent student in um, in primary school when he was a kid and in Thailand. So he won a scholarship to. A private school. That's so he's been speaking English since he was ten. When he was eighteen, he got a he got accepted to CSUN and mm-hmm. came over here. I don't know how he afforded it because my Thai family didn't have a lot. I mean, I think my grandfather worked for the railroad and I don't and my grandmother took care of the children. So I don't know how that all worked out. But I guess he worked and went to school and it was the eighties, seventies, eighties. So he was mm-hmm. fine. And then he met my mother. He, and um, my mother was adopted, so I'm not sure her father was an alcoholic, and um, and she had mental illness as well, um, but she hadn't been diagnosed at that point, or maybe she had, she was diagnosed, I don't know exactly when she was diagnosed, but whether she was in college at that time, both at my, her and my, my father were at CSUN and my father cut his hand on something in chemistry lab and she was the nurse. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, met and they were really, then, I don't know, they were very, both my parents were very funny. They, I, they would tell me jokes about putting, you know, like saran wrap on the, on the toilet.
1: (laughs) For, for, for,
0: for. just just for fun. Like for other, you know, just to, just to have oh to block yeah. to
1: block it so somebody would <laughs> sit. Oh my God! you <laughs> have <laughs> to be pretty nearsighted to not know. notice there's saran wrap no, no, on the I toilet. Know, but. but they
0: they were they were kind of funny yeah. like that. So my mother had an open marriage at the time, and so then she got pregnant with my brother, and she married my father, and uh, that was um, a not a great not a great match for them because yeah. they were I I guess culturally and. My father, um, I, you know, growing up with him, he was very abusive for uh, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Um, I don't know if something—I think we've had we've talked a little bit about this before, but I don't know if something else. I don't want to say specifically what happened. I have no clear memories of anything happening, but I had also been in a foster—multiple foster homes. So I don't know if there was some kind of sexual abuse at some early age that I had blocked or— you know, it's too young to remember, which is often the case. I mean, yeah. if I was a foster child at nine months old, so, um, so if anything could have happened, I think it's pretty common that mm-hmm. children are abused in order to, you know, to comfort, you know, to comfort them. They're, you know, touched physically and sexually to try and get them to quiet. You know, I've heard I I took a I had, child I had development heard, class.
1: I had, yes, I had heard that... Um... I don't know if it was, it was like Japanese mothers would masturbate their sons the yeah. night before their their big tests or something. Really? Whoa. Yeah, I mean okay. that's something that I heard. And okay. again, this podcast is hosted by a jackass that used to cook chicken on cable TV. He is not a therapist. Uh uh so the things that I say that I heard, please uh, take everything with uh, with a grain of salt.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well I heard I think it's probably true if, if you have heard it um because I did hear it was in a psychology class in a developmental early early age developmental you know ch- child development class, and they and the professor was saying how you know mothers are, would masturbate their children just to get them to Be calm honest. down. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, right. So,
1: and by the way, I wasn't as a listeners. I was not saying all Japanese mothers do that. I can imagine <laughs> the emails that uh, that I'm going to get, but um,
0: I'll second that. Yes. Paul did not say that all Japanese mothers do not. Yeah, that all Japanese mothers do not masturbate their sons.
1: Yes. Should we put print up T-shirts? Yes. With that, <laughs> just to get a jump on should the we? argument. Uh, talk about Thai culture. Oh wow. Um, I know that's okay. a hu- hugely broad question. No, okay. But I'm always uh, interested in the. Not only the dynamics of first-generation uh, mm. people, uh, but just the culture in general.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you want? What would you like? Where would you well, like me to start? for instance, <laughs> for instance
1: here are the, some of the things that I know about Thailand: is that it's a, uh, for the most part, a very warm, emotionally warm people, very kind, very welcoming. And there's also this dark side with the Golden Triangle and the production of of um, opium and and meth. Opium much less more nowadays, but there's there's an area called the Golden Triangle um, where it it overlaps Thailand, um, Myanmar, and Laos, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I believe Chiang Mai is within the, the Golden Triangle. That kind of came as news to me because all I had ever heard mm. about Thailand was how nice the yeah. people are, mm-hmm. how chill it is, mm-hmm. how peaceful it is. I I know there was a little bit of a kerfuffle with the, um, the military and the in king. King
0: and the military, yeah.
1: Yeah. But uh, I suppose more than historically what I'm interested in is just the vibe. Mm-hmm. Any snapshots... Uh, of your experiences wow. in in Thailand.
0: Okay, that w- that would be from twenty years ago. Hey,
1: that was the last time you were there.
0: No, the last time I was there was in two thousand seventeen okay. for my birthday.
1: Is she and still she chewing on your sweater?
0: A snapshot of Thailand. Wow. Okay. So as a young woman, um, I was eighteen. I was fourteen the first time I went to th- the first time I went to Thailand. I was eight. I was with family. Then fourteen was just my brother and myself and my father. And um, we got to do some modeling. Some Someone saw my brother in the mall and was like, oh, hey, would you like to model? So they invited my brother and they said, uh, invited me because it looked fun. And um, so we did a couple of magazine shoots. And then, um, and then that was that. And then when I was 18, I was getting into partying and raves and drugs here in the States. And my family thought like, oh, let's send her to Thailand. That's what they do with the kids, you know, when mm-hmm. they're... Misbehaving. It's just send, send the kids to Thailand. They can see, like, the real world, you know? Yeah. And um, so, but, I, you know, I, I, got, I still was involved with, you know, dabbling in drugs here and there. And then um, I got into commercials, and um, I, this was when I was 18, and I was doing a lot of just, like, commercial work and magazines and stuff like that. Like, um, didn't do any swimsuits or anything, like, Underwear or anything like that. There was, you know, back twenty years ago, it was really taboo to if you appeared in a bathing suit in, Th- in Thai culture. It would be like that would be the end of like your, you know, legitimate career as a as a model or actor. And so,
1: but um, but not for the average person just going to the beach.
0: No, because oh, because okay. because because white people or foreigners have they get they get a different set of rules. Right, but, like, if you're going to exist in Thai society, like, you can't even wear shorts, like, 20 years ago. Yeah, shorts in Thailand were, like, no. Even, I mean, at the beach, even people would wear, like, pants, you know? And so
1: you're not just talking about in the modeling world. You're talking about just in in general 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, like, now I see, like, I mean, if you wanted to be, if you're, like, you know, if you wanted to be respected as a young woman in Thailand, you wouldn't, I mean, you could wear shorts if you're, like— a, you know, foreigner, but as a, like, as a a young Thai woman in Thai society, that wouldn't be acceptable. Um, now it is, which is great. Like, it's, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, so, so, but then like, there's this whole other side to, to Thailand where they had the, the backpackers, you know, Mm pre-COVID there was, um, you know, Khao San Road where all the backpackers would travel through and, and, um, and it was a really fun time to be there, especially for me being 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, just taking cabs everywhere and not, you know, and smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol and smoking pot and doing, you know. And did
1: you speak uh, Thai speak, language? No,
0: I didn't speak Thai fluently. and I, I didn't grow up speaking Thai. Um, so I learned a little bit while I was there, but not, not a whole lot. So then I went back. So after I was diagnosed and, and had that, stint in the hospital, which cost me like, I don't know, three, 300 baht, which is like $10, something. It was like something really like phenomenally like cheap that was like, I was in the hospital for a month. Wow. Yeah. And so this big room and just cots and like this little outdoor area, they fed us on these tin, tin plates. And, um, and I remember the bathrooms exploded. Like, not exploded, but there was some plumbing issue. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> those were full of shit. <laughs> when, just like the day before I was leaving, I was like, okay, great. So um, that was an experience to to forget or remember. I don't know which both. I mean, it was just an experience in life. And um, so that's one snapshot.
1: Okay. And there's a lot in there. I had no idea about the, the thing with the shorts and yeah. and all of yeah. that. Yeah, oh
0: That's... Thai society is very strict. It's very yeah, yeah I think the, the people the, the 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 stuff that foreigners hear about is like the foreign how foreign right. people are regarded. They're, right. It's have... like jackasses that are like right. loud and noisy and wear shorts and mm-hmm. you know and, and
1: they're so they're they're tolerated they're because tolerated. they keep the economy going. <laughs> yes. You know that that tends to be the case for us white people pretty right. much pretty much everywhere. Right. Um, so and,
0: and, I am half white too. So
1: yeah. yeah. So I would imagine it's a different also set of of rules and circumstances for Thai men.
0: Oh. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So it monogamy is not really a thing there that I. Um,
1: for men. For men. Yeah.
0: I don't know for women because I don't, but I know that none of my 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 friends that were like like Lukung, they were half Thai. None of them would date, really date Thai Thai males at all or Thai men because um, they just they thought they cheated all the time. Which I I don't know if that goes across the board for most cultures. I don't know like know how to frame it. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like yes, it exists. And now that the former king has passed, and the new and the prince who is like this very who's no one really likes, um, he's had several wives, and I think the last one ended up in jail.
1: That doesn't sound good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yes. like, I don't know why she's still alive. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, but it's and it's none of my business, and I'll stay out of it. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, do you still have contact with your father?
0: Yeah, I okay. mean we're on, we're actually on. Very good terms now. Um, He has had a bout with cancer, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of really, like, reset him in his mind to just, like, I think he's really um, supportive of me now, whereas before he he wasn't. And I I think, yeah.
1: He was unsupportive in what way? He was ashamed of your mental illness or your life choices or what?
0: That's interesting. I don't. I don't think he was ever ashamed of my mental illness. It was interesting. He worked. Um, he, he later became a nurse after being an engineer for 20 years. And he became an RN. And he actually worked in a psychiatric uh, facility. I think he still works in mm-hmm. a psychiatric facility. So I know he has an interest in and in it, it matters to him. But I think, like, in the past, we used to fight and, you know, physically get... It would, you know, really, like, um, it would decompensate to like physical fights you know and there was one time in high school where I was going to go out with some friends and he, he came home and he like, literally put his arm his, his hands on my neck like he was so angry with me and like and I was like and it was so embarrassing and so like humiliating for my friends to see that and I um I never really had a conversation about it with him and I don't know if I would bring it up because I don't know if I don't know what it would accomplish but it might just maybe some healing um but there's a lot of stuff that that we don't we haven't talked about and um and that's unfortunate but we found new ground on different things like um uh like nursing Mm -hmm. we both have that in common now and he's like so proud of me so he just you know he he bought me a, a you know really nice car and like a you know, sends me money and, you know, asks me how I'm doing and tells me he loves me. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, it's this whole new person that, you know, I think actually the cancer was good for him in a way Mm -hmm. because we just realized we don't have a lot of time left. And also I had a change of heart with um, reading. I don't know. Are you familiar with Brian L. Weiss? Mm -hmm. He's a Yale educated medical doctor with a specialist in psychiatry. And um, he used to perform hypnosis on his patients in the '80s, and never, nof- nothing out of the ordinary ever happened. Until one time, he told one of his patients that was ha- that was under hypnosis to go to the original trauma or injury, and she went into a past life. And he really didn't know what to make of it until, like, f- after four years of like healing people, doing past life regressions, he. Um, he wrote a book about it because it was helping so many people, mm. and and um, and he's been the foremost authority on like past life regressions now. Really? And, yeah, so amazing, so phenomenal. And I I thought like I was so moved by his work because as a person with bipolar disorder, schizoaffective, and mental illness, and homelessness, and you know, there was a time I I put a bag over my head and walked into traffic. I'm like, I'm supposed to be here. You know, please somebody let me know. And really? Yeah, just a to, like toy. Was it Tonga and Riverside, that that intersection? Oh, you picked
1: a good intersection. Oh, yeah. That's a nice place. If you're going to get hit, (laughs) that's at the top of my list. There's a Gelson's right there if you need to pick up a few things while you wait for the ambulance.
0: (gasps) Oh, my God. Yes, that happened. Um, But yeah, and then I just had the suicidal ideology for a long time off and on because I didn't really have any direction in my life. And thank God I got into nursing school because, like, it's been 10 years and it's been so good with getting me just ha- having a focus and having um, a direction.
1: Has there been stigma associated with you having bouts of going in and out of reality? Uh, mm-hmm. Because I imagine for some people, uh, it could be an end to a career if, oh, if yeah. you go <laughs> off your meds and you have an event and it, it
0: Yeah, it was an end to my modeling and acting career in Thai and Asia. Um, I, at the time...
1: Was there a specific event that caused that?
0: When I told Pepsi I wasn't going to get out of bed to go to their movie, to to shoot their commercial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) They were like... uh, You were
1: depressed at the time?
0: I was... Or you preferred Coke? What's that?
1: Or you preferred Coke? No,
0: I just, I was like, you know, so-and-so, you know... But who was it at the time? I think Naomi Campbell had said she didn't get out of bed for ten for less than $10,000, and mm-hmm. I was like in a manic high, and I was like, I'm not getting out of bed for less than 10000 Um The meds make me gain weight, and that's kind of like – that's one thing where I – something affects your self-esteem, but I try to manage it. Like I went hiking and swimming today, and but in nursing school, I also get – now as a side effect of the medications, I get – uh, migraines daily, so I have to take oh, boy. medication to medicate that. And if I get a migraine, then it, it deca- you know, it de like I can't. It really, I can't do anything at all. I have to just sit and like and just decompress for forty five minutes or it, thirty minutes.
1: It is so easy to see how people could choose to be destitute rather than yeah. be on certain cocktails of meds.
0: Yeah, it does a lot to a person's self esteem when you ch- you're. Your physiology changes, and mm-hmm. you it or you get pimply, and you overweight, or you can't stay awake.
1: Get lethargic.
0: Lethargic, yeah. And feel numb. Yeah, so it's um it's challenging. It's definitely challenging. Uh,
1: from what I understand, antipsychotic meds are are getting better in terms mm-hmm. of uh, side effects. They're not as as bad as they used to be. But I know every person is different in terms of right. how they react to things. Yeah, is is that? Have you found that to be the case or well, no? Well,
0: I'll say that I I don't have to take meds every day. I get a shot every two months, so that's great. Oh, that's awesome! It's like two thousand dollars that I don't pay now, but when I start, you know, when I start nursing, like mm-hmm. that's gonna be that'll be fine though. It's
1: and but, so you go to the corner of Riverside and Tahunga and you put a bag on your head and they shoot you up.
0: <laughs> oh man, no, not exactly, but um. No, I go to I go to my my um I go to uh, a very nice uh, psychiatrist who who has one of the nurses uh you know she'll shoot me up and you know and and uh, and then I don't have to take meds for
1: that's for two awesome. months which is good. Fuck, I would do that if I didn't have to take meds every day. Well, like one of my least favorite things is counting out my meds for oh. the for the month because I take four different. Things and okay. I know it's a it's a drop in the bucket compared to what some people have to do, mm-hmm. but it's a monthly reminder that I'm dependent on a pharmaceutical company, and I fucking hate that because I don't trust them. Yet yeah, I also they aren't know, to be trusted, and I also know these meds are saving oh, my life.
0: It's, yes, is I. I wish like, like some like some bipolar people would make some bipolar medications so that we right. could support them. Right. <laughs> you know, like some good people yeah. and not just like evil money-making, you know, machines. Yeah. Yeah, and they have a lot of clout. I mean, these doctors and and their uh, what do you call, lobbyists? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I have, have a friend
1: who's a doctor and he tells me just the the shit that they dangle in front of doctors' faces, you know, the vacations and this oh, yeah. and that. And he said, you know, if, if you have no soul, you could get so much from drug company lobbyists. Well,
0: I mean, yeah. Then, um, but the cool thing about nursing, and I, it's funny because I, I was talking to someone recently about it. It's like, it, it. I recognize that meds save my life. And they... they they allow me to have a quality of life that otherwise I wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. sustain. I'm um, like, I always told myself if I made enough money, I would just like, you know, lock myself in a padded house and like have a, a staff of people to help me go wean off these medications and like mm-hmm. find the right, you mm-hmm. know, like supplements that would right. work for me. Um, who knows? But I, I heard of like a, what was a Travel, a travel nurse was saying that he knew somebody who made like, 500000 one, one year in travel nursing. So I'm like, okay, I don't need to make that much. But like, you know, a fraction of that would be nice. And maybe I can do something with that. And maybe I can find alternate ways to, but then I'm just like, I don't know. I, I can't really like, I've tried so many times to go off, not go off to golf meds, but if there's some other maybe like combination that might work better.
1: And, it's like, and just not knowing in itself is like a mental hurdle, a mental emotional hurdle, this feeling that there's some better resolution or Or cocktail out there that if I just tried harder, I could find it and my life would be better. One of my biggest fears is that there's a better life for me right there. I'm just too lazy to figure out what it is.
0: That's really hard on yourself, Paul. Thank you. That's a that's a that's a that's it's not your fault. I, I think
1: I think a lot of people that take meds feel that way though, mm-hmm. um, and that doesn't mean that I don't like my life and I'm not grateful for it. But, right? but no. You know, I think every person who takes meds, th- they're going to feel well, maybe not all, but many of them you do feel some side effects. Oh, it. yeah. Maybe it's a bit of numbness. I don't cry as easily as I would like to. There's times oh, okay. when I can feel like there's a wall there that won't allow me to purge a sadness that's that's inside me. And I have the feeling that's because of the meds. But, okay. but I know that it, the meds also allow me to function, to get out of bed, to uh, not be Completely riddled with anxiety or mm. or depression, so i'm grateful and yet i'm also um, just i don't know what the word for it, but a, a feeling of of something not being resolved yeah. It's almost like I wish that that it was there was more known uh about what's perfect for each individual person. But it's so much trial and error. And a lot of times you're just like, you know, I'm good enough.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's, um, going back to Brian L. Weiss and like suicidal ideation, which I think a lot of people with mental health issues struggle with. It's just like, why am I here? What's Mm -hmm. the point? I don't remember signing a contract with anyone. I don't, you know, to to come here. Like that's, you know, um, but, uh, so going back to past life regressions, which is I've been looking for a hypnotist who works in past life regressions. I have a friend who's a hypnotist, but he won't—he's not familiar with that stuff, and he won't hypnotize me because we're friends, mm. um, which is very professional, and I should say good mm. job. But maybe he can recommend me says, to someone. But um, but the past life regression thing is interesting because I'm like. If we do have work in soul groups, and we come into this life with, like, you know, making contracts with other souls to like learn from them and and you know repay debt and and mm-hmm. so so on and so forth, like, um, then there's a reason I'm here, and I don't want to re, I don't, I want to be here to experience that, mm-hmm. and I want to get all the richness that I'm supposed to get while I'm here, and then take that into the next life for the next better life, you know. I didn't really believe in that stuff before, but now because I just because I had so many like, um, I had so many um, experiences like in manic highs, either talking, feeling like I was talking with Jesus, like really believing it, um, meeting the devil, you know, having feeling thinking the world was run by aliens, and if you know people don't, I think the last last time I was on a manic journey was around 2019, and I remember just twittering to a bunch of billionaires just like if they don't you know why not just like donate all your money and then like start this chain reaction of everybody donating all their money wouldn't that be great and then you could get block (laughs) right then you could then you can make it back so much faster what a game that would be see if you could actually like donate all your money and then see if you can make it back faster people would probably just think they're crazy but but um i truly and then i truly believe that and i thought like i thought lit The world was being run by aliens and that something really, 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 really bad was happening. And then COVID hit and I was like, see, I told you. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I don't know. I I don't really have like premonitions of things like I just they're kind of crazy and I don't I don't know. But
1: I'm terrified of the idea of reincarnation because I never when I imagine it, I never imagine it being a better life. I always imagine it. I'm going to be in Calcutta. I'm going to oh. be begging, uh, you know, it, th- th- or I should say that there's the real possibility of that. I just don't like, because I feel like despite the shit that happened to me as a kid and the fact that I bat- battled mental illness, I feel like I've won the lottery in terms yeah, of finding recovery yeah. and meaning and purpose in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like any spin of the wheel after this has got to be
0: oh, a downward. Gets, it gets it gets better, Paul. Like, I got to give you one of these books. It's like, it's... I'm so it's,
1: suspicious of that stuff, though. I don't know. It's so woo-woo. It's a, it's
0: a, I know that... Okay, so here, this is how I got on that, even like, and mm. you mentioned the word woo-woo. Okay, so there's two physicians. They were talking. It's um Dr. Mark Hyman, who, who's like into functional medicine, which incorporates um, different modalities, like... Um, acupuncture and other things like that into, into their practice. And, um, and he and another um, physician, Cynthia Lee, were discussing their illnesses that had been mysterious. They were physicians and couldn't get diagnosis, get diagnoses for their illnesses. And they were ill for years. Like Cynthia Lee was, was ill for like five years, couldn't get out of bed, like couldn't work. Um, Her marriage was suffering, all these different things happened. And so um, by, you know, kind of like these woo woo ideas, she was mm-hmm. healed. Like I don't want to. She wrote a book about it, Cynthia Lee, MD, and she um, she incorporates now. Like she writes some of her prescriptions are like go take a walk in the mm-hmm. in the grass without know, your shoes on and and you know, and spend some time in the sunshine. And those are like her prescriptions, mm-hmm. you know. So. Um, That's think, not
1: that. That stuff is not woo woo, uh, right? Me. But it's I, it, yeah, the break totally it's on the in the of it. Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: So anyway, so I was like, I was shocked because Cynthia was telling the story about to Mark to Doctor Mark Hyman about um, how they'd bought a house and her daughter kept waking, like could not sleep well. or she'd always wake up with nightmares, and um, and so they had this. They had, I guess they had a friend. Cynthia Lee had a friend. Um, whose wife was a a, a a psychic, I guess, or a psychic healer, and she just came in the house just just to visit, and she was like, "Oh, there's this energy here. I can feel, I, you know." And and so they went, and got some sage, sage the house, and um and and Cynthia went through the house and you know asking these spirits to leave, and she's like, "Should I be doing this even if I don't believe it?" And and the the lady was like, "Yes, you know, you're the lady of the house. You should do this." And then once she did that, everything was gone. No more light nightmares. And um, the the lady who, who was the psychic could also have a, she had a, a vision of a man in a plaid shirt, and she described the previous owner like to a T. And she said, like, he, uh, Cynthia told her that he hadn't wanted to sell, sell the house, that it was just like, uh, like he, he had to because for financial reasons. So that it was kind of malingering in the house. Mm. And so, um, so that, so that hearing two medical doctors talk about that was like, <sighs> for me, because, mm-hmm. because in my brain, I'm like, only that stuff is like manic. Like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't go down that road because it's too close to being manic, you right. know, and seeing signs and things like yeah,
1: that. Yeah, that's got kind of uh, a trip that a, a solution might be right next to some of the worst episodes in thinking of your, of your life. yeah. So, looking back, do you see any silver linings to the metal struggles that yes, you've been through? Yes,
0: definitely. I, miracles happened. I've got to meet some really incredible people that I I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet prior. Like, there was one person. Um, like, it's it's so embarrassing, but I stalked people because I think it's like early childhood like stuff. I didn't mm-hmm. get my needs met early, early, early in life, and these were like the The parents I never had, I guess. Um, the and
1: stalk them in what way?
0: Um, like just uh, social media. And mm. so when I met, were they
1: aware that you were stalking them?
0: I mean, like I think it was just like I was just fascinated and obsessed with them. Like I just mm. and part and there was a part of my brain too where I was that crazy person where I thought that we should get married.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I was just like, and I know that's a symptom now, so I don't ever. Were, were
1: they aware that you were?
0: Um. I think so because okay. when I met when when I when I met one pers- person in, in when I met one in person I said well where do I know that name from I said oh social media and then his face fell and like my my feet turned to ice and I was like of course like that would be so awkward and weird but mm-hmm. but um but um but throughout that I found that um that person got to know me a little bit through I gave them a little bit of like my writing of my my book and a an art piece that I made and and they went and they unblocked me on social media and they oh, kind of wow. and like and this is like a someone who's really like has very well like established um person and um and just th- that person had the self reflection and and to give me another chance and like mm-hmm. and of course I, I messed it up but like but i ha- but i know that i'm capable of meeting these that i'm that miracles do happen that um i can meet and become You know anything? Anything is possible. Like nothing, nothing is not possible.
1: Do you feel like you you have a good sense of boundaries today? Now that you're medicated,
0: medication helps. Yes.
1: (laughs) Do you find uh, that the intimacy issues that we work on in our support group, uh, you know, very often a lack of boundaries, either our own boundaries or respecting the boundaries of others is, can be a, a, a something that we need to work on. Have you oh. found that, that even though you're medicated you're still working? I'm always that?
0: working on something. It's like yeah. I, I play whack-a-mole with addiction. I mm-hmm. think I actually bought that domain name, like whack-a-mole with addiction. Because <laughs> I was just like it's um, it's uh yeah, it's always something.
1: It's always something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's always... I mean, if it's not one one thing, it's another, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, learning to be, like, gentle with myself and not, like, not um, beat myself up and not be hard on myself. I, like, will have conversations with myself and, like, you know, record them and listen to them and, and like, I'll call myself... I like, as if like, I'm talking to my, my friend on the phone. Mm-hmm. So... Um, like I learn, I've learned, I know that I'm here to learn something. I really want to know like why the, like the stalking behavior, why, like, why did I need to read? It was my self-esteem so low that I, I needed, I needed the, like the validation from, mm-hmm. uh, from outside, from somewhere where I thought was like, you know, high and mighty and godlike, and, mm-hmm. and I think so, you know, it's like, it's, um, Self-loathing, I'm trying to like.
1: Self-loathing is like a black hole. It will (laughs) just pull everything good in your life into it.
0: But you don't even, and the thing is, it's like you don't even know. I didn't even know it was there for so long. It's just like I was was separated from my biological mother at like a month old, less than a month old, for nine months. And so, and then given back to my biological family after that and then separated at two or three years old. And then four or five, and then 10, and then 12, and then 12 is when I moved in with my father. Other than
1: that, it was all good, right? (laughs) Yeah, peaches and cream. Smooth sailing. That is so much separate. I mean, I'm a believer in attachment theory. Oh,
0: yeah, for sure. And
1: holy shit. That's is, uh, uh, that a, rad.
0: Reactive attachment disorder. Yeah. It's like that's like the, the bottom – like that's the worst of the worst you can get is like reactive right. attachment disorder.
1: So do you find yourself being attracted to unavailable people? Oh, totally. And yes. It, that's,
0: it, what, that's, that's what – That's that's your
1: pattern of dating guys that are –
0: Yeah. That um, emotionally unavailable um, – yeah.
1: Treat you badly.
0: No, actually, just I had, indifferent. No, I did my. The, there was one person I almost married, and um, took that took a long time to heal from. But you know, I was, I felt con- when I'm making conscious decisions about trying to find healthy relationships, I managed to find healthy people. I think, mm-hmm. and um, and my my therapist at the time thought so as well. You know, she thought that this person that was a that I almost married was healthy. But I went off meds and we were thinking, you know, his father was a physician. His his sister was going to med school. Like we thought, oh, you know, if anything happens, we'll catch it. We didn't. And I, you know, I, I broke the trust. I thought he, you know, I got paranoid. and thought he was sleeping with someone else. And like, so I, you know, he left me in the apartment by myself for like 10 days while he was, you know, flying around the country and meeting with different clients for work. And, and I just decompensated and, you know, I slept with someone. He found the evidence, and that broke his heart. And it was interesting because it's been like, I don't know, it was two thousand nine. So it's been it's been a while. But my my brother actually was living in the apartment building that um, my ex fiance is now like. He think he's the president of the company. He's going to be the CEO soon. But he was just over there in Chicago a few weeks ago, and. My brother ran into him, and it was it was interesting. I was like, I'm glad, you know. I I tried to reach out to him several times later and apologize and make amends mm-hmm. and stuff, but I guess you know he moved on, and yeah. and I was just happy for him. I was like, I was happy, and it was kind of weird, but it was it was good to know that because um, it always kind of compared. You know, he was, I think when we were in our 20s, uh, he was making like 380000 a year when we were like 20 and 27, and we're looking at $2 million houses. And I remember, you know, buying this $50 t shirt, thinking, like, if I can't buy a $50 t shirt, will I be happy again? Like, will I still find happiness? And I'm like, yeah, I'm still happy. Um, but now I'm at a place where I'm, you know, with nursing, I will be able to buy a $50 t shirt again. Right. You know, and it, it doesn't change anything, but it's just, it's kind of like, it's my, My little, like, nudge from the world to let me know, like, you're in the right place at the right time. Like, you're doing everything right.
1: That to me is really the ultimate comfort is Mm -hmm. when you not only think I'm where I'm supposed to be, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but you feel it. That and often, to me is the the lottery.
0: Yeah, and oftentimes, to have you come across those moments where you feel like you get that moment, and you f- you're the only person that, that know that recognizes it and mm-hmm. and knows that specific moment where yeah. you're just like <clears throat> it's all come together and it's tied nicely mm-hmm. nicely in a bow, and it's like wow, that was ten years of work, and like mm-hmm. but you can and it's yes. an amazing feeling.
1: And I get it sometimes without any specific event or thing happening. It's mm-hmm. just all of a sudden I'm soaking. The universe in, and I can feel the all the 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 good vibes that are that are there for me, and that uh, I'm I'm that my life isn't uh, a series of fuck ups, that there is some guiding force right. in it, and that right. that I'm doing good. You are that I'm doing, good. doing That I'm good. You know, not necessarily meaning that I'm doing good for the world, but but that I'm playing the hand that I was dealt well. Is there there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up?
0: Um, Just how grateful I am to you for having curiosity to learn about me, and I appreciate that. Thank you for seeing me and taking the time.
1: Well, it it is nice to see you healthy and functioning and thriving. Oh, my God, yes. Round of applause. Round of applause. For both of us. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Paul.
1: Thanks, Jen. Yeah. Oh, I've been wanting to have her on for a, a long, long time. And it is such a relief when you have a friend who is kind of on the cusp of, I don't know what the phrase would be, losing it or, didn't, you know, disintegrating. Um, and to have them come back and thrive is just such a fucking great, it's such a relief. And it's also so exciting just to see what, what they're going to do, they're going to do with their life. We are sponsored this week by Nourished. Are you a vitamin taker? Maybe you want to be a vitamin taker. Well, try Nourished. Nourished gives you the seven recommended nutrients personalized for you and your goals, all in one sugar free, tasty gummy. It's a daily dose of vitamin delivered directly to your door. Nourished Premium Custom Nutrients have everything you need in one tasty gummy snack. Just take the short quiz, and Nourished will recommend seven nutrients to help support your health and wellness goals. It's vegan, sugar-free, sustainable, eight delicious flavors to choose from, and they can be changed each month. It's 3D printed and made fresh to order. Search Get Nourished to take the quiz and find out what nutrients you need. Use promo code MENTAL50 and go to the the URL us.get-nourished.com. Again, promo code MENTAL50. That's nourished. Get your gummy on. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself overreacting loser. Um, He says about his depression, like walking through fog, being assured by others that the sun is coming up soon, only surprise there's fog. Only surprise there's only fog. Could I have fucked that up anymore? I don't think so. About his OCD, I must breathe to the rhythm of this song stuck in my head or it'll kill me, even though the hyperventilation will probably kill me anyway. Snapshot from his life. One of my sisters posted a picture of all of us on Facebook for Siblings Day. I was horrified, shamed, and embarrassed by the photo, while others thought it was damn funny. I wanted to ask not to be tagged in things, but who the hell am I to tell others how to use social media? And since my sisters were considerably more popular growing up, I'm assured that all the people I've been trying to hide from or lay low from are getting uh, getting to see it. Great, another exhibit. In the case of me being a pathetic loser, you know, I have noticed that the surveys filled out by men, you seem, you you hear the word uh, loser pointed at themselves a lot more than women. Um, not that the the women in the surveys have necessarily more positive attitude about things it's just it there seems to be a a, a, I don't know kind of a classic way of phrasing whatever our struggle is especially if it's internal it um with women filling the surveys out it tends to be a lot more about their looks their weight um and guys it tends to be more about what they're doing for a living and how much money they're making Should I I type that up and get that out to you so that you can uh, nominate me for a a Nobel Peace Prize for my observation? This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself the Black Knight. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s, says he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, He's never been sexually abused. Uh, although we write sketchy stuff with similar aged relatives when we were really young, but I've processed the events on my own and don't interpret it as abuse or assault. It hasn't affected my life. Uh, he's not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused, deepest, darkest thoughts that I may be a hopeless pervert, even though I don't have the evidence to back that up, and that even though I love my fiance. I loved my girlfriend who committed suicide 6 years ago just as much too and I've had a very strong I've had very strong feelings for other women since then as well and at the same time I could probably marry four different women I care for right now that is something I would never tell my fiance I'm honest but no fool Speaking of sharing everything in your head with everybody um yeah, that might be a good thing to to share with the therapist or support group or a, a, a close friend, even if just to let some of the, the pressure. If you're struggling, with those thoughts or feelings, because, uh, you know, that old adage is true that uh, takes the power out of things when we when we put it into words. Darkest secrets. I've never cheated on my fiance fiance, i.e. no kissing or genitalia touching, but I have done almost everything else with a few other women, cuddling, sharing a bed, dancing, massages, dates, and even being a dom engaged in public flogging action. I didn't break the rules, but it could have gone bad fast. Well, let me throw this out there as a thought. Should the line be of what we cross or what we don't cross, shouldn't it be would we do it if that person if our partner was there that's that's i think a good barometer of whether or not something is appropriate oh my stomach's chiming in sexual fantasy is most powerful to you orgies two to three women deciding to pleasure me with a group foot job having sex for an audience Bring just friends with a woman who wants me to watch her have sex. Maybe even my fiancé magically having a penis for one night. I'm okay sharing all of those except the foot fetish one. When I was young, my mom told me my dad had a foot fetish. It grosses me out knowing that's one of our few connections. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I really liked you to every girl I didn't have the courage to ask out. I hated being a coward. What, if anything, do you wish for? I can complete my mission in life. It's going to happen anyway, though, so I may as well save that wish to ask for money. I'm not sure I understand that. Have you shared these things with others? Every now and then I will. Typically, it goes well and they share their thoughts too. Thank you for filling that out. I appreciate that. You know, since I started doing this podcast in 2011, I've I've read probably eight or 9,000 of these uh, shame and secret surveys, and I've learned so much about not only uh, the variety of people's sexuality, but how we internalize our thoughts and how we feel about it, and oftentimes how it's related to... Things from childhood or adolescence. Would you like me to type that up and send it to you so you can nominate me for a Nobel Peace Prize? This is uh, from the Awful Some Moments survey filled out by May Berry, and she writes My two year old daughter was sick over Easter break while I was at my parents' house. I was really stressed and told my mom that I was having a hard time with motherhood. She looked at me and said, Oh, I know how hard it is being a mom. You were terrible. Thank you, Mom. I feel so much better. This is from the Shame and Secrets Survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Roller Coasting. She uh, identifies as straight. She's in her fifties. Says that she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, she writes a. Hey, I've had some hazy memories come back in therapy. For a while, I was back and forth about whether my dad really did sexually abuse me, in their parentheses, touching. But so many things fell into place once I let myself believe it was true. I felt so much shame leave me, and I'm so much more comfortable around people. I don't want to run and hide from being close or even having someone look at me during a conversation. Also, lots of little weird things that didn't make sense makes sense in the context of him abusing me sexually. Still, it's a struggle to not have clear memories. Yeah, that is a such a tough road when somebody's trying to process stuff. But, you know, what I like that you filled out was that you gave weight to it just to see what would happen. Because a lot of times, we won't even open that door. And for me, there was no healing until I said... To myself what if I'm not making too big of a deal of this and that's like when all the feelings came forward so it's good to hear that you you did that not not to you know punish the person that did it but to stop punishing ourselves by minimizing it uh she is not sure if she has been uh, physically or emotionally abused There were no feelings allowed in our house growing up, not even good ones. Everyone acted like it was really embarrassing if you were even happy or you were ever happy. Yeah, I would call that emotional, uh, at at the very least, emotional uh, neglect. And that is a motherfucker, man. Or when you have a, a parent that can't stand seeing joy, boy, you want to talk about something that will bury anxiety in you for the rest of your life. A killjoy parent that, oh, it's the worst. Any positive experiences with abusers? Yes, for sure. We watched movies together constantly when I was growing up. We still do. I feel sorry for him. An emotionless old man who has no real connection to his children. It also fucking pisses me off that I feel sorry for him because what the fuck else does he deserve? Darkest thoughts. Telling my sister-in-law in a very mean and blunt way that my dad sexually abused me. I would love to see that sympathetic look wiped off her face and she would finally stop saying things like, I hope you find your happiness. Everyone is so sure I'm the problem, but I'm the only one being real. Darkest secrets. Because the memories of the sexual abuse are so new, I've gotten to the point of being ready to tell my siblings. It's a big weight and something I'm angry to have to bear. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Before I let go of a bunch of shame via speaking about the sexual abuse, I fantasized about being an object, a thing for others' use. That has faded away and I'm pretty vanilla now, although who doesn't like a spanking? Now that's a t-shirt right there. Who doesn't like a spanking? What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my dad he hurt me. I'm afraid he'll laugh or ignore me. I want to share what happened with my siblings, but they're probably—they probably will shut down and not respond or even look at me. I couldn't take that right now. And I would uh, definitely talk to your your therapist or a close friend about that because it might be good to not, you know, reopen that wound by bringing it up with people that are just going to deny your reality, or at the very least, be prepared for them to react in a way that is hurtful or disappointing what if anything do you wish for the courage to ask more questions about my childhood i just recently had my dad tell me that they took in a girl to adopt then quote gave her back i think there's more secrets there have you shared these things with others the few people i've told have been kind but they don't know what to say man i think it's a poor group not only would be awesome for you, but I think you would be awesome for a support group because you seem like a curious, seeking, sensitive person, and those are the people that make support groups awesome. This is from the Awfulsome Moments survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Scared Fat Child. Uh, He writes, "...I'd been strung along for months for a new possible job as a business support specialist. A job that made my art school grad stomach turn, but I needed the money. I'd already done two Zoom interviews, and yesterday I went in for my in-person third and hopefully final interview. It was terrible. The office was in a very expensive, white, and sterile part of the city." The office was drab and soulless, and my potential boss was a vaguely racist elitist who I desperately wanted to be away from. I got home dejected and opened up an Amazon package. It was a dress shirt I bought for that job. I couldn't even button it. I was now too fat for an extra large shirt. I packed it up and started walking to a return drop-off location. As I started walking, I began to feel better. The sun was shining and I was making peace with my situation. Ahead on the quiet neighborhood sidewalk stood a cute squirrel doing that little stance with her front paws curled into her chest. She was plump and had large nipples, so I assumed she was a new mom, probably out foraging for her spring babies. I wished I had something for her. I thought about how silly my problems were how this cute squirrel was just living her little life without ever considering a job or feeling shame about her body. As I got closer, I made kissy sounds at her, which startled her, and she ran out and was killed by a car. Soon after, the sun disappeared and it began pouring rain, completely soaking me in my shorts and summer shirt. Oh my God oh my god that's like out of a movie and i almost didn't read that because i hate reading anything for myself or for you guys that has to do with animals being hurt but that one was just too awful to not read this is from the voice in your head survey filled out by max and uh What are some of the things you tell yourself about yourself? He writes, uh, That's the reason I am single is because I am difficult. That the reason I am single is because I'm difficult to be with. I was super bullied as a child and grew up extremely hating myself, my body, and most things about myself. Very fun. I've done a lot of work to actually grow a lot in my self image but all of my childhood bullshit leaves me needing a lot of presence from people in my life. I have an amazing group of friends who have shown me what love looks like, but I cannot keep a romantic interest or partner in my life for longer than a month or two. I don't feel like asking to spend time together is a ridiculous ask, but for people in college it seems to be. And when people in my life, but especially romantic interests, aren't able to give me anything near the amount of time and space that I'm able to give them, I get anxious that they're going to leave. I'm an anxious person and a worrier, and I'm honestly pretty accepting of myself in this, but I worry that these traits get in the way of making actual meaningful connections. Like I can't imagine a world where being being present in the people you care about lives being a bad thing. But in college, it seems like the only thing anyone wants is that aloof. I don't give a fuck about anything attitude. I graduate in a little less than a year and have had zero long relationships in college. And at that point, even though I know it's not true when I lie alone with myself every night, my brain points it back to me. Oh, also, even though my friends tell me I've turned myself into a stereotypically attractive person, That the fact that I don't have a ton of matches on online dating sites means that all that work was for nothing and I'm still the ugly high schooler, but just without the extra weight and some more expensive clothes. As I was reading your, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And as I was reading your survey, you know, a lot of stuff popped into my brain. The first thing was, well, people in college, a lot of them are Still fucking children, you know. Uh, They're 18 to, to 22 years old, not very emotionally mature, don't know what they want. So I wouldn't take the way they treat you as a reflection necessarily of who you are. But more than that, I was thinking, what if you tried some type of trauma therapy like EMDR or... Something else because it's possible that that your anxiety is you are just running around in survival mode, still feeling like that kid that was bullied, and that stuff gets trapped in our in our cells. And there are modalities of therapy that can help release that. EMDR being one of them. So um, that might help not only with your anxiety but with you know how you relate to people and not feeling. Um, That sense of trepidation and uh, like you're too much. Just a thought. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Catholic and suicidal, but only casually. That's a movie title right there. Uh, She is in her 20s, identifies as bisexual. Uh, She writes, I lean more towards feminine men or submissive masculine men. Uh, She says she was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I lost my virginity at 21 because every time I tried with boyfriends, the pain was excruciating, figuring I'd go to the doctor if I couldn't figure it out. I decided to try one more time with my then-boyfriend. We tried, and the pain was too intense, and I freaked out and said I wasn't ready. My boyfriend got impatient and frustrated and continued despite my extreme discomfort. Uh, yeah, that's more than uh, just possibly counts. That That is sexual uh, abuse. Uh, My boyfriend, uh, I laid there and tried to check out. I don't remember much of it, but I remember briefly thinking I wanted to accept what was happening so I wouldn't be another statistic. Fucked up, I know. I think now, years later, that while maybe it's more of a gray area, it still wasn't okay. If you expressed to him that you wanted it to stop and he didn't stop, that's to me not a gray area that's clearly a violation Uh, she's never been physically abused but she has been emotionally abused i've recently accepted that my mother has been emotionally neglectful and at times abusive since i was 10. it's harder to explain as i just remember her being this way so it seems normal my alcoholic father has been an emotionally absent parent to me And abusive to my siblings, I've also had emotionally-verbally-abusive romantic partners. Any positive experiences with abusers? Absolutely. Despite my difficult relationships with my parents, I do love them, and they've done a lot to make sure we had a roof over our heads and food on the table. It's difficult to accept that I resent them for not being emotionally invested parents when they worked several jobs to make sure we were fed and saved money for our education. Well, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. Somebody can be emotionally present in the rare moments that they have time with you when they're working two jobs. Yeah, maybe that's a lot of expectation to put on a a parent who's, you know, fucking exhausted and maybe wasn't raised with those tools. But I'm saying this... so that you will stop minimizing what your needs were as a child and saying, I should just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. No, it's a fucking big deal when you don't feel emotionally connected to the, to the people that you are supposed to feel safest with in your life. And that is regardless of what they're working, what they're doing. It, it is the quality of your time with them, not the quantity of your time that we're talking about. Um, uh, all right. Darkest thoughts. I am, quote, casually suicidal unquote. I fantasize about how I would die in the way that will cause the least amount of pain to my family and friends. I take an absurd amount of relief in these thoughts. I don't plan to act on them, but it sometimes ironically helps me get out of one of my dark days. I think about running away to another country disappearing in a big city or in a remote mountain range and never talking to my family again. I think about going to a cold, snowy mountain on a hike and enjoying the silence and the hum of nature before slowly freezing to death. In the parentheses, this is related to a way I used to self-harm, but I work on it with my therapist and have not self-harmed in four years. Well, high five on that one. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I'm bisexual, but I don't let anyone... No, I'm Catholic, you know, about that classic Catholic shame and guilt. My mother would disown me. I've slept with women, but I'm afraid to even think about having a relationship with one because I will always choose my family over a partner, and it will hurt that partner. I have not shared my virginity story with anyone, not even my therapist. I'm not sure why, as I'm very open about sex and sex positivity, etc., but I can't bring myself to talk about it. Sometimes I think it's because it doesn't affect me much anymore, but maybe it is. I'm hypersexual and have a lot of sexual kinks, but I've never felt comfortable talking about them to anyone in my life. I desperately want to, though, so I suppose I should try. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I would really like to be in a dom-sub-relationship with a man. Those are basically my only porn searches and I am turned on by women dominating men, specifically when they do it without needing to act manipulative or dismissive. I guess I like the idea of being in control and needed without having to be abusive to get those things. You know, what I really love about this, first of all, that you're you're bearing your soul and you're sharing your truth, but um, I love that you are sharing something that you so rarely see in pornography, and that is subtlety. It makes such a big difference in so many people's turn-ons, the, the, the nuance of it, you know, the attitude of one person playing a role or a fantasy that we have. And it just... <laughs> You know I'm not currently looking at porn, but in the days when I was, uh, it would be so frustrating trying to find something that was in my kink wheelhouse that was just so either overacted or it was some stereotypical cliche and it just it, it made me want to get onto a job search site and uh, apply to be a writer for a, for a porn company. Continuing, Um, I know this is a culture, I know there is a culture for this, well the sexual part anyway, but I'm terrified to ask about it as all my closest friends have said rude things about this lifestyle and I wouldn't know where to start. Pretty common kink, but somewhat scarier Somehow scarier than coming out as bi or talking about my possible sexual assault. Sharing it now, I guess it's nice since I don't think I can tell anyone else. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my mother how much she's hurt me and how much she's affected my self-esteem. I would tell her to take a fucking mental health class so she can stop treating me like I'm being dramatic and making me feel worse. I would tell her that even when I'm hurt by her, I love her. I would tell her that when my depression-anxiety cycle hits and I have to isolate myself from her to keep from harming myself, I still love her, appreciate how hardworking and independent and sometimes goofy she is, and accept her for who she is even if she can't do the same for me. I would tell my father I love him, that I understand him better than he'll ever know, and that I wish he would just for once try and get help. What, if anything, do you wish for? To have a healthier relationship with my parents and siblings, to be able to be open about my sexuality, to be able to find a partner that I can trust and share my sexual preferences with. Those are all right-sized emotional needs. It's amazing how long we can go through life thinking our right-sized emotional needs are gigantic and imposing and asking too much. How do you feel after writing these things down? All right, I guess. In a way, I'm finally talking about some of these things. Yeah. And that's awesome, man. I appreciate it. I really appreciate when you guys... Go, go down into the crawl space and bring up the, the icky. This is uh, an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, never stood a chance, but still in the fight anyways, because I don't, being, <laughs> I don't like being told what to do. And she writes, quick backstory for clarity. My childhood played out in uh, a house full of dysfunction, There was ongoing incestual abuse occurring in our family for 10 or more years. I finally disclosed the abuse when I was 12 and then all hell broke loose in our family and didn't begin to settle for many years. One moment that I personally find hilarious for the hypocrisy and makes me want to cry is when our parents would leave they would leave me in charge as a babysitter even though they'd been told by our therapists and child services that they were not allowed to do so. The last thing they would do before they left on a date or go to a church thing or whatever it was that specific day, they would say make yourselves proud, which we all understood to mean, don't molest each other. And she was not the molester. I didn't read all of her uh, her survey. Her brother was the was the one. And then finally, this is an awful moment uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself. I'm a scared media designer teacher. And she writes. So as my name says, I'm a media design teacher and I have an anxiety disorder. I work at a school for children with autism, ADHD, and other learning or living struggles. So last week, after the fire alarm went off, normally I would be scared and be in pure panic mode. But the moment I saw one of my students, the look in her eyes, my mindset changed. Suddenly, my anxiety was gone, and I could only focus on getting my students out of the classroom without making them scared. I held the hand of the once- of the ones that needed that needed it, and we walked safely to the area we needed to be in. I counted my students, and the building area was safe. After that, I felt so proud of myself. It felt like a step forward in my recovery. That's beautiful, and I'm sorry I stumbled over that. It's just I think people fill these out on their phones sometimes, and uh, the punctuation. Uh, can be a little hard to read and the translator siri is a fucking horrible translator so a lot of times i am substituting words on the fly as i'm reading these things and i'm dumb and old and that's really more than anything what i want you to get out of it that paul is dumb and old maybe i should change the name of the podcast to dumb and old you know who i'd get to listen A lot of dumb old people. I love dumb old people. Finally coming into my own. You know you're dumb and old when you start making things plural that aren't plural. I remember my dad saying, you want a Heineken's? I just remember thinking, please shoot me. Please shoot me the day Heineken's comes out of my mouth. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcasts. I hope if you're out there and you're struggling, that you know you're not alone and that there's help and there's support. Our people are out there. We just got to find them. And uh, never forget that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Heineken's. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know weird beautifully, fucked up, I know weird beautifully fucked up in some weird is bizarrely way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird bizarrely way. Bizarrely